0: Nicholas Vince here this week on The Chattering Hour. We are so honoured to be joined by an actress who has an impressive list of genre titles to her name, such as Insidious 1, 2, 3 and 4, Critters, The Grudge and A Nightmare on Elm Street. In addition, she has over 200 film and TV credits and is a recent Emmy Award winner. Her 45-year career spans stage, screen and TV from horror to comedy. Up next on The Chattering Hour, the wonderfully talented Lynn Shay. <music> And we're back with our special guest, Lynn Shea. In addition to the horror films, which I mentioned, Lynn is well known for her comedy films such as Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, Stuck on You, The Three Stooges, and There's Something About Mary. She's also a TV regular on series such as Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, and recently won her Emmy for a recurring role on Eastsiders. We could go on for another 15 minutes or so, but let's hear from the lady herself. Lynn, thank you so very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for asking me. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to see you again. Thank you. Um, I
0: wanted to take you really right back to the very beginning, and if I may. I know you were born in D- Detroit, is that right? Yep, yeah. Detroit, and you Michigan. went to school at University of Michigan?
1: Yes, correct.
0: Good. My my research yeah. is a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then I also, after that, I did go, uh, I I actually have a master's degree from Columbia University in theater as well, which I did after college, you know, after Michigan. So I'm a, I'm a, uh, what do you call it? I guess I'm a schooled, (laughs) a schooled actor, you know, in that way. I'm an academic.
0: You're an academic actor. (laughs) I was, cause I was going to ask you, when did the kind of the acting bug bite to you? Was that at school? Was that, when did that happen?
1: I don't really, I, I can't really 100% pinpoint it. I, um, From as far back as I can think, I love to tell stories and um, act them out. That was sort of the way I entertained myself when I was little. Um, there were not a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and I used to, um, this is sort of, already a notorious, uh, element of my personality, but I used to take all my clothes out of my closet when I was little and try and make up different outfits and play with my, I'd have whole scenarios between me and my stuffed animals. And I was pretty creative. And my mom, I must say, God bless her. She, she you know, she, she just let me do whatever, you know, and she, we'd put everything back at the end, but she was very, um, positive about letting me be on my own to uh, investigate my own imagination. You know, she, she was a really, when I think back, cause it was a long time ago, I'm old. <laughs> so, but she was a really great mom. She was just a, a um, and uh, I think that was my beginning of storytelling. Right.
0: right, 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 right. And so you, you mentioned you did the theater uh, fine art theater degree. Was your, as far as I understand it, now you were in 1975. You are in Hester Street. That was, was that your first acting job or just your first film debut?
1: That was my first film thing because I I did, after um, I finished Columbia, I was in New York City and stayed in New York. And it was really the most wonderful time then. All the off-off Broadway theaters were just getting started. Um, There were all these alternative places like Playwrights Horizons and the Chelsea Theater Center and the WPA and um, and uh, all these little tiny theaters were just popping up all over. And we were always doing new material. And, you know, there was sort of a a whole community of playwrights, actors and directors. And I, I was always doing something. It felt like so. Um, that was really how I, I I mean, so I did only theater. I never, it never occurred to me to do films ever. It really did not. Um, And I was interested in in the acting. I wasn't interested in, you know, sort of the other thing, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the exterior stuff. So um, Joan Micklin Silver, who directed Hester street, which is a marvelous little film still to this day. um, She, I can't remember. I don't know how I connected to her. It might have been through my brother. My big brother, Bob Shea, started New Line Cinema in 1968. (laughs) And um, I think he knew her and her husband. It might have been through Bob because Bob was very instrumental. He was the typical big brother that would always introduce me. This is my sister, Linda. She wants to be an actress. That's how he would always introduce me. I was always miserable. But unbeknownst to me, he was a terrific support. He would tell actually as past this point of Hester street, but once um, Bob got new line going, he would tell his directors, put my sister in your movie. And that was how I got nightmare on Elm street. That was how I got in the hidden. That was how, you know, and I always thought, Oh my God, you know, where did these directors see my work? You know, they didn't, <laughs> my brothers said, put my sister in your movie. And then he would pretend he didn't do it. So I may have met Joan through Bob and um the story goes, it was to play the part of a Polish prostitute. And there was a really nice scene with Stephen Keats, which in during the, the film, what takes place in the twenties in New York and, you know, in, in uh the Lower East Side, New York which was where the Jewish, the Jewish ghetto was really. Right. And, um, uh, so, uh, she, so she, I, I actually think I went in and met her and, um, and then I got the part and it was actually a very nice scene. And it was with me and Stephen Keats who, who played the, the male lead in it. And the storyline was, it was this Polish prostitute. He comes to visit her and the, there's a little monologue she has where she says, um, the reason I'm," he says to her, how, why do you do this? You know? And she said, because I can earn more money. I can only earn a nickel, you know, doing a sweatshop, which is the only work that was available to women in particular at that time and i can earn 25 cents you know being a being a prostitute so it was a really so it wasn't very you know there was nothing particularly tawdry about it or it was just very informational about that time frame so anyway we shot the scene And I remember I was very excited because they were having their premiere in New York. And I invited my mom and dad to come to New York to see the movie. And I said, you know, mom, you know, I'm doing, everything is good. You know, I didn't tell her too much about it because I was afraid to tell her, you know, anything. So (laughs) we get to the scene and I'm like, my heart is just going a wild minute. And the scene was cut dramatically. So all you do, all pretty much you see is me leaning over, you see my breast and I'm washing myself, which is what these prostitutes did. They you know, made themselves as clean as they could. And um, I say something to him about gringo. I call him a gringo and it's, and, and it's just kind of, (laughs) there's really no scene. (laughs) So I was very, I didn't even look at my mom. So my mom was, she didn't, she registered nothing. So get to the end of the movie. And now I'm excited because at least I'm going to see my name in the credits. And so and I remember there was a whole long list of, of actors. and They scroll all the way down, all the way down. And at the very bottom, it says, Lynn Shay, horror. <laughs> and my mother, <laughs> my mother, she just never looked at me this whole time. I sincerely remember this. She stood up and she started marching up the aisle. And I went, Mom. And I kind of went after her. She walked right into the ladies' room and threw up. <laughs> so that was my... That was my entree into the film business. <laughs>
0: Your poor mother.
1: <laughs> my poor mom. Here's her daughter. She, you know, with the pink bows in my hair in my little room with the bows on the wallpaper. And, uh, you know, lynch whore, you know, and all you see is my pardon my expression, my tit. <laughs> so anyway, so that's show business.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, Was it in New York that you joined the Actors Studio? The Actors Studio,
1: Studio. yeah, it was. And Lee Strasberg, I was fortunate enough, uh, that was really a very fertile time for the Actors Studio in New York then, especially. I mean, it was... uh, you know, Bob De Niro, Robert De Niro would come and, and you know, Shelley Winters was there and would moderate and Ellen Burstyn and really the greats were still, it was, um, they held the uh, classes in a little church and in, right. in, in around 40, I think it was like 44th Street. And um, you had to audition. And I had finished school at Columbia and then I started taking classes with Uta Hagen which was also one of the most, I learned more from probably more about how to act, how to prepare a scene from her and Stella Adler than anybody. Um, They were really amazing teachers and about breaking down the material and, and uh, understanding the storyline and and supporting the storyline with the choices you make as an actor. And, and Udo Hagen was very hands-on about, um, objects, using objects to give you a a physical life on set and things people might not think you, you know, you would use, you know, and you see something around you and you you pick it up and suddenly you've got behavior going on. So, and I wanted to be a part of the actor studio. So you had audition. And Mark Rydell was also very involved. God bless Mark. He's still, he's here. He's in LA. I haven't seen him lately, but he was very, very active at that point too. So, and so every Friday you prepare a scene. Anybody can anybody who is a member, and I became an observer. Sally Kirkland, who is still uh, in my world right now, we Facebook each other and all that. Um, she was very active at the studio and she was always naked. <laughs> Forgive me, Sally, but it is true. <laughs> every time the scene would start, there was Sally naked. You're doing in the lotus position on stage, getting ready to do her, her scene. And, and Sally was teaching a yoga class. Um, and I was also got involved in yoga. And so I I kind of, she, she let me be an observer. You know, in other words, I wasn't a member yet. And, uh, so you could go to the sessions and I don't think you could work yet. I think when you were an observer, you literally just come and observe. And so I started auditioning and we started doing different, um, and nothing really happened until I came out to Los Angeles, believe it or not. I mean, I, I would go to the sessions and stuff, but it was out here where Mark Rydell was the main moderator that I auditioned and auditioned. And then Strasburg, well, you know, I'm forgetting the timeline exactly. Um, no, I was already a member when I came here. Strasbourg made me audition five times and he just kept saying and And that's, that's his way. That's what he, he kind of, as well as the quality of your work he was very interested in your perseverance and if you had any and if you quit and got pissed off then bye bye <laughs> you know <laughs> go find another acting school to go to darling but i never went to the institute or anything it was just the studio and having his validation was really extraordinary to be honest and right. he he really liked my work i remember that cuz he was very critical and um um he said something to me once. He said, you're very commercial. And I took that as an insult. And then I realized later what he was saying to me, you're going to work. That was his way of saying you're a working, you will be a working actor. And um, lo and behold, so far so good. <laughs> I don't know after this pandemic. I hope I hope somebody remembers who I
0: am. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, I'm sure. I'm looking at the body of your work. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. You... Funny have you you've spoken a lot about and, and some of the things that were mentioned um uh during that time. Is there one piece of acting advice that you can clearly remember apart from just keep at it? Let
1: me just think for a second. Tell the truth. I mean, that was something Strasbourg was very uh that's something I really got from him and from from someone like Uta Hagen is Because I remember him once sort of saying, there's no wrong. There's no you did it wrong. There's no doing it wrong. If you are telling the truth, you're doing it right. And that even if the choice you made is different than what the director thought of, sometimes you surprise him and yourself. And that's something that I must say, very emotional, actually. Clicks in sometimes where I go. Where where I let myself I, like I'll mm-hmm. be on a tree in the middle of a scene sometimes you're on a, a trajectory of some sort and there's that little voice that goes you're not you know it's it's sort of um, censoring where you are because you think you're supposed to be somewhere else and and I've learned to shut that off and to let that other part come through and especially in film which can be edited that's where your gold sometimes lies is you will find a piece. That the director didn't think of, that you didn't think of, that nobody thought of, that suddenly ignites the scene. So remembering that piece of advice uh, carries me through um, my own my own truth and my own sometimes random things that come in in the middle of something where I, I, you never stop and go oh I'm sorry, let's do that you know you'd never ever stop until your director says cut <laughs> unless you know it, I mean obviously there's little bits of you know there's some, some yeah. things that are a little bit different that you would stop but in general that would yeah. be what I would say is tell the truth
0: tell the truth I'm, thank you thank you very much indeed for reminding me of that I remember yeah once being complimented by a director. Um, it, it, feedback you know, round roundabout after I'd worked with the director and um, the feedback I got was Nick's very good because during comedy he tells the truth he just knows that that's what it's all about. Yes, no, thank you for reminding me on that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I'm getting emotional about it. <laughs> well,
1: it's it's why we do. I mean, it, it should be why we do what we do you know, I mean, actors are actors for all kinds of reasons. We know that. But I I honestly think that is why I'm an actor. Because it's, I've said this before, it's the safe place to tell the truth, to really tell the truth, because it's, you're, you're in a, in a story that's been created. It's all manufactured, except for you, who's not manufactured. And, and to find that element of story and to tell the truth within it is it's, we're in a safe place to do it. And in, in real life, you can't always tell the truth. We lie all the time to people we love, to people we want to impress, to people we don't like. I mean, there's, there's a million ways that we deceive ourselves and people around us. And I think as an actor, you have that luxury of being able to tell the truth in a safe spot and to communicate what you really feel.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, yes. Well, funny enough, i think as a writer as well. When you when you're writing, that moment where you, I think, as a writer, I know when I find that phrase, and I just it's not just the beauty of the phrase itself. It's that moment you think, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. That's yeah. that's the secret yeah. I'm trying it's to. It's the reveal. aha
1: moment. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. So, presumably, that helps you very much. When in 1978, Jack Nicholson chose you for a piece in going south
1: one line (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's how i came to california i mean that's that's a whole long story i have told the story many times but i'm happy to share it again um i was in new york i was you know acting in all these small off off and off off broadway theaters and um in my little in my theater community and I was supposed to go to Boston to do Candida with Eva Marie Saint. And I was so excited because uh, t- she, to me, is still one of the great actresses of, of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, two thousand. I mean, she's just yeah. uh, was a beautiful woman with great talent. And I got fired. I hadn't gone. I hadn't even left. And I they called me and, and said, um, you know, we're releasing you from the – and I, and I went, I had a real meltdown. I mean, I didn't understand. And it wasn't until later they sent me a note and they said, cause I auditioned for it. And they said, we want you to know. And I actually, I didn't even read it. I was so upset. And it wasn't until months later I found it. And what it said is we want you to know you did the best audition of anyone that came in it was for the role of Prossy, who was the secretary to Candida in the, in the, in the George Bernard Shaw play. And they said, you, I looked like I was 12 years old. I mean, I was in my thirties, I think, but they, they said, you made, you made Eva Marie Saint look old because you're so, you look so young. And we were afraid she's supposed to be in her, you're supposed to be in your early thirties. You look like you're 12 and she's supposed to be just a few years older than you. And she's in her fifties playing younger. So I did but I didn't know that till later. And I got a call from my agent Gene Parsegian, who became a very, very powerful agent after he was after me, <laughs> but, but we did love each other <laughs> and respect each other. And he, he called and he said this odd thing. He said, um, Jack Nicholson um, has just inquired about you for a film they're doing. And I'm going like, what? And he said, they, um, they were just here in New York. And they've gone back to Los Angeles, but we're sending. And I said, well, "What did you do?" And they said, "Well, I know, we sent them your picture and resume and blah blah blah." And I, I mean, I was also sort of out of the canon anyway from this whole other experience because that had just—I had just gotten fired uh, literally a few days before that. And so I remember running around my little tiny apartment, you know, from one wall to the other, gathering every picture I could find. And dear Mister, and I and I started writing this note and sending a packet of photos this is me with curly hair this is me with short hair this is me with a bow and I, you know I mean it was really ridiculous and then at the very last second I wrote a little note I, I got I went and got a card that said the soothsayer on it and the date was 7777 and I remember because I remember I wrote it on the card and I thought those are those are big numbers and sevens have always played a very big part in my life uh, they really have for sure for sure. sure, and, sure. Um, so I wrote this little note and I said, "Dear Mr. Nicholson, I um, I said thank you so much for your inquiry. These are some pictures, of different photos of me you might be interested in seeing." And as a as a, um, an afterthought, I I opened the envelope and I put P.S. I plan to be in Los Angeles for a short visit in the next week or two, which was totally bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I I but and I put it sealed it up and and took it to my, took it over to my agent's office. And I think it wasn't even, there was no FedEx yet. I think they were still doing special delivery. And about a couple of days later, my agent calls and says, do you know him? And I said, what? They said, do you know him? Cause we just got a note from Jack saying he wants to meet you as soon as you're in LA. So I literally, I packed dirty laundry. I made a reservation and I left the next morning for Los Angeles. And I got on a plane. I mean, I, and I got a fever blister. I was so the size of a basketball on my mouth. Come, I could feel it on the plane growing. Bee <sighs> Buckley was out here. She was a friend of mine from New York. She got me a place at the Chateau Marmont. She said, "Just come. We'll get. I'll get you. A, I'll get you a bungalow." So she got me a bungalow at the Chateau Marmont, and I, I, I literally went from the airport to the chateau with a fever blister like this, and. My appointment with Jack was the next morning at 10 a.m. at, at Paramount. And I, I mean, it was just it, it was such an out-of-body experience, the whole thing. I mean, I honestly I didn't know where I was, what I was doing. I had this big thing on my mouth. I could barely talk. I, and I just was ignoring it <laughs> just said what can you know I'll put on a lot of eye makeup and I'm going to wear this cute little top and I've got a little pair of boots and jeans and this and I called the cab I because there was no Uber yet then or anything either I remember I, I called the and to come at 9 15 because I had my appointment was at 10 and so I went to Paramount and <laughs> it was the whole thing was so dreamlike you know I um I remember walking into his the, his office, into the bungalow, and Mary Steenburgen had just gotten cast as in Going South, and her story was also he kind of she was a, in a, a waitress in a restaurant, and he saw her in the waiting room waiting for somebody, and made her come in and read the whole script with her, and hired her on the on the right then. I mean, he's an extraordinary guy. I mean, that's the first thing you have to say about Jack Nicholson, as well as an actor. He's one of the most spontaneous. To me, kindest people I've ever met, and so I walked into his office, and my picture was up on his, you know, on his behind his desk with a bunch of other actors and stuff. And he has his head down, and I remember he looked up at me with that true shit-eating grin of his, and he said, "What happened to your mouth?" <laughs> And I went, Oh, I said, I know. I said, I didn't really just come out here to meet you. I swear to God. I "I really, I was just, I said, I just, you know, he he just, he knew a hundred percent what I had, what I had done basically. And um, (laughs) so he, he was just so sweet. And he just, and I was in there all for about a minute and a half or two minutes. And he said, well, these are from, from some small roles. There's four women, there are four spinsters because it's a cow, it's a wonderful movie going south. It's a wonderful um uh cowboy, you know, old old-fashioned cowboy movie. And he said, But we could make one a parasol lady, we could have three spinsters and a parasol lady, and he kind of like He says, Well, we'll let you know in a few days. And so I said, Okay, and I walked out, and I had I thought I had been literally, I didn't know where I was. I had so much adrenaline in my system, I, I barely could speak. <laughs> I was just like and I had the cab take me back to, to Betty Buckley who I would just grab onto to like my mother, just anybody. And she was, she really is, she's an extraordinary woman, an extraordinary talent who I was so thrilled to be, to have um, invited into her life here at that mm-hmm. point she really did. She kind of, she said, we'll stay for a while and we'll see what's going to happen. And she really kind of took care of me and, some days went by and I got a job based on a, a tape that I brought from New York. I mean, yeah, that I brought from New York. Um, and I got a job on a movie of the week. This was Jeff Fisher was his name, was a casting director at Universal. God rest his soul. He died many years ago now. And he hired me. And um, it was F. Murray Abraham and Judith Light. It's called Sex and the Married Woman. It's a movie of the week. It's still on. You can still find it. And it was this small role. These are great stories, actually. It was a small (laughs) role um, to play F. Murray Abraham's sort of snarky wife. And I'd never done any television. I I hadn't done anything, really. So I went shopping for wardrobe. (laughs) And I I got this little T-shirt that said sexy on it. And these little earrings that were, um, I still have them. They were little palm tree, little palm tree earrings. And I had this idea, because she's supposed to be in the kitchen when the scene opens. I had this idea that I was cooking a turkey. So I'd be coming out, and this is Uta Hagen. Thank you. I was going to come out to the scene with a turkey leg. <laughs> so I went to Nate Nell's in Beverly Hills. I bought a turkey leg. And I take all this stuff to, to, to a television set, and Jack Arnold, who was a quite a famous TV director, was the director. I mean, this was a big this was a big deal. Every every Jews light, a big movie of the week. And so I come in, and I'm very, you know, I've done my work, you know, I did my work, and I come in, and I say, so I had thought I brought this sh- little shirt, and I remember, <laughs> and because they brought me to set to meet Jack, you know, to meet um, Jack Arnold. And I came with my, with my little grocery bag full of stuff of the T-shirt and the earrings and my turkey leg, <laughs> pull everything out. And they were just like, I remember everybody kind of backed up and they were just sort of sitting like this, watching this. And I was so committed to what I was doing. We used every single thing I brought, including the turkey leg. <laughs> and it's there. I'm looking up, sex on the married woman. There I am, come out of the kitchen with a turkey leg in my hand. And um, so that was my entree to LA. And then about a few more days went by and I got it and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do because I didn't, you know, I hadn't heard yet about from Mr. Nicholson. And then I got a call from, from, it was from New York and Gene Parsegui said, they want you in, in Durango for a part in the film. So they had already left. Um, They had left a week or so before that. And so I flew out to Durango. I was there for two weeks. I have one line. The line is, he ain't for you, Serene. (laughs) And it was with Anne Ramsey. I don't know. People probably don't know who she is anymore. She was this wonderful character actress that was always soused. (laughs) I mean I I say that with love and wherever you may be <laughs> but because I would have been too you know? <laughs> like and um and uh and Mr. Nicholson was so charming and so kind and um it was during it was the well it was the 70s so you can imagine the scene. <laughs> there definitely was a scene. I wasn't a part of any of that. I was too busy making sure my period hairdo was correct and you know what I was gonna and I mean I, I was so serious about my work always and um geez. So that's that story. I mean that's wow,
0: how- wow. <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> Those who don't know, it's not, for those of people who don't know, you don't normally take your own stuff. To, I'm surprised the unions let you get away with doing your own costume.
1: Oh, they, props. well, they, pr- they probably didn't. I mean, the, the bottom <laughs> line was they were also caught off guard because you know, nobody, I mean, I, I also remember once I was doing something talking about union <laughs> and I had a, a hair clip and I'd left it on the piano and I was back at the other side of the rehearsal room or something. And I went to go get it. The prop man chased me grabbed it out of my hand, said, then put it back on the piano, then went to neutral, <laughs> then went and got the clip and brought it to me. So that's how ridiculous it can get. This I think they were all so like, whatever, here she is, so, uh, this is and they were all great ideas. They liked it, they liked everything I brought, you know, so and wow. uh that wow. was very, very supportive, I may add. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Moving on slightly, I mean, 1980, you began a working relationship with Walter Hill. You did The Long Riders, Brewster's Millions, Extreme uh, Prejudice, Last Man Standing. Yep. He's known for being a, a, an actor's director. W- what was that experience like?
1: He's what well, I haven't really ever seen him since that period of time. Although it's kind of interesting. I just did a movie called The Grudge. Mm. And, um, <laughs> um oh, I'm just blanking Nick, and uh, Nick Pesh, who is the director, yeah. Yeah. his girlfriend miranda, is 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 Walter Hill's daughter. Oh, right. so I, I and I never I had no idea, and she's just this lovely girl, and And Nick is just the best, whatever. And it was the first time, and because i I've never really seen Walter since then. And I always, I said, oh my God, you know, he was so nice to me. And she said, he talks about, you, you know, he, ta- he, you know, you're disgust. You know, he hasn't forgotten who you are or whatever. And, and with, in the way that happened, I really do have all these stories. If I'm talking too much, please let me know. Okay. No, not in the um,
0: slightest. As long as you're happy, I'm happy.
1: No, this is kind of fun. Cause I have nothing else to do right now, but think about myself <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, yeah. um, Jimmy Keech, James Keach, you know, the Keach brothers, there's okay. Stacy and James, and I haven't seen them forever. Uh, James, we were friends in New York. Actually, this is another piece of information. We did The Tempest. It was the only Shakespeare play I've ever done in my life. I played Ariel, the little Sprite, and I was doing somersaults off of things, whatever. And Miranda was Sally Kirkland and Caliban, and Ferdinand was played by James Keach, <laughs> and he did like back to back. You know that was like the whole fun part that he was playing two different characters, and so that was where I met James Keach, and um, as I said, Sally and I are still friends. So um, uh, I lost my train of thought. So, so yeah, we were um, we
0: were talking about well, um, yeah um, Walter Hill.
1: Walter Hill. Okay. Yeah. So James was going to be in the Long Riders. He, cause it was, it was about the series of brothers. So James and Stacy were in the Long Riders and I think, I, I don't know how I was talking to him, but I knew that they were doing uh, this cowboy and I, this cowboy movie and I love horses and blah, blah, blah. So I said, um, so I thought I, I, I was going to, he said, well, I could set you up with a meeting to meet Walter. And I said, Oh my God, that would be so great. So I do remember I had this little black t-shirt with a big tiger on it. And I had cut off jeans and cowboy boots. (laughs) And here I come in my little shorts going to Burbank Studios. I I really did have a lot of chutzpah, I guess. But I I never thought about it like that. It's just like, well, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. So I put on my little t-shirt and I looked cute. I was cute then. (laughs) And. And I just remember Walter, I walked in, marched into his office with my little T-shirt tied around my cut-off jeans and my cowboy boots. And um, he ended up giving me oh, – I also played a prostitute. <laughs> and go. And look, I seem to have a lot of roles where I play prostitutes. Um, and there's just – it's a very small scene, but it was really fun. I remember I'm dancing with Randy Quaid, who was also wow. – the Quaid brothers were in it. And this was when Randy was – a wonderful, I mean, he did, Randy was in Kingpin, you know, I mean, he, mm. he, he was one a fantastic actor. And um, so they, because I mean, the, the thing about the long Riders, it was a series of real brothers, you know, there were the Keach brothers, I think the Carradines and, um, and, uh, and the Quades, it was the three wow. set of brothers. Wow. And, and so, um, and it's just this really sweet moment where I'm dancing with him. And I remember I just and I am a prostitute, but, you know, prostitute, that was a very, um, a very qualified profession in those days. It was like, you know, you could make 25 cents instead of a nickel, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, and and I just kind of hit it off with Walter. I liked him. So he was so nice to me and was always very professional and just, you know, he. but he was always bemused, I think, a little bit by me when I would show up. Because I kind—I of, real—I don't rea- I never really realized that about myself. And I don't know if I have that anymore, to be honest. I think you, you lose a little bit of it as you get a little more jaded about life in general and a little more worried about yourself and how you come off to people. Although I've never worried too much about that. Probably I should more than I do. But um, I had kind of that thing where it was just forward motion. And I think mm-hmm. people, and I never came out here to be a movie star. I came out here because... Jack Nichols <laughs> invited. You know, he was like, "I, I, owe, I." My, my agenda is really extremely pure, and um, not manipulative. I have none of that. What's this going to get me? And how am I going to get there from here? And who do I have to meet to talk to? The, I don't have any of that. I, and I maybe I would have done even better if I had, but I, I don't think so. I love here I go again. It's the pandemic. I can cry. I love our life, our life. And I think it's really shorter than we think. And it is important to tell the truth. That would be my Mm. message because Mm. you have nothing else and people will respond to you for that. And will respect you for that. And will love you for that. Mm. Mm. And I feel I've brought that to my work. I don't think I have any enemies in this business. I mean, because sometimes I wonder, I go, how do they, what do they say behind my back? Because people do talk behind your back, but you know mm. that. But I, I always, I treat people very well. I'm very professional. But, um, and I love with a passion, telling the truth. It's not even about acting so much as I love that opportunity to really, really share um, sort of whatever knowledge my being was gifted with on this earth. I mean, it's really cosmic in a way. So um, that's all. Well, no, no,
0: that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: And my, now my mascara is under my eyes. <laughs> so forget about it. <laughs>
0: so glad I didn't put mine on today.
1: Um, <laughs> I found a good one. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take that note. Um,
1: All right. No, thank
0: you so much. I, I think because listening to you talking about telling the truth, and I think this is what is so frustrating. I think during the whole pandemic, we hear so many lies being told. We hear, basically, I think we hear an awful lot of fear. Totally. And it's just like, you know, people are so scared. And when you get so scared, you just want to believe whatever's nice. You don't want to believe what, you don't want to believe the difficult truth. You'll just believe what's comfortable, what's easy, what makes you feel secure. And I think when you get the chance to tell the truth, there is something incredibly freeing about that. I think, you know, you do feel well, that the weight come off your shoulders when you just say, this is the truth. Oh, my God, what have I just done? But, but I think it's is so important truth. that you do that. Yeah. and oh, Thank you. That, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Lynn. Um, I will bring you back, if I may, though, to uh, kind of the, the business and another aspect of your career, but kind of not another aspect of your career, um, the Farrelly brothers. Because you've done Dumb and Dumber uh, and, and Kingpin, which you referred to, something about Mary, Stuck on Me, myself and Irene, the Three Slooges, etc. What are the Farrelly brothers like to work with?
1: Oh, they are just fantastic. I mean, it's a whole, again, a very long story of how I got into, you know, how I met them, basically. And um, uh, Dumb and Dumber was my brother. Uh, Dumb and Dumber was a new line movie. And it was Pete's first movie. And I thought, um, I mean, I, I had, you know, I knew nothing about them at all. And Bob said, You know, is there a role for my sister in this movie? I mean, he really, and I remember getting a call from Rick Montgomery, who was their casting director. And I was so still naive about my brother, you know, because he was always so mean to me. <laughs> and he still was a little yeah. bit mean, still a little bit mean. He's <laughs> just, just driving the knife in every once in a while. Um, <laughs> it's part of family dynamics. Um Every family. But,
0: uh, <laughs> I've got two um, brothers. I know. Yeah.
1: You know the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he so I get a call from Rick Montgomery saying there's a role in this movie, you know, that's um uh called Dumb and Dumber, that Pete Fairley, blah blah blah. It's gonna be shooting. I think we shot they shot it in Providence, which is where the, the boys are from. Right. Um, and it was this character, Mrs. Nugaborn, and it was one scene and it was with Jeff Daniels. I was very excited. And I thought, again, oh my God, I wonder where they saw my work. You know, <laughs> it's <was> like <laughs> where they saw my work as their producer said, put my sister in your movie. So, long story short, I did my work on um, Mrs. Nugaborn. She's a uh, a dog. She has dogs and she's going to a dog show. She's taking her poodles to a dog show and how people. So I started thinking, so people, how do they look? They look like they're dogs. So I remember I asked, I asked hair and makeup. I said, make me a poodle pom pom and you know, make, do all this little tiny curls in the front of my hair. And I had this hound tooth coat. I mean, I, it was, you know, I, I was doing everything I could to sort of figure out something that would be correct for the storyline. And. Um, and for this woman, and I said to Pete at the end, I said, it says she opens cause the, the gimmick is Jeff Daniels has the dog mobile and he takes her dogs and they get covered with mustard and ketchup right before the show. And she screams, she opens the van and there's the dogs and she screams. So I said, what if instead of screaming, she whimpers like a dog and she goes, oh, 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 oh. and, and Pete just kind of, I remember he kind of looked at me and he said, that's a great idea. And then like everybody was sort of, I could sort of feel everybody kind of tune in to this wasn't just Bobby's sister, you know, that I had some, I had an idea for one little moment in the movie that was maybe going to be funny, you know, or, and um, so we shot it and um, I went back home and I got a very nice note from Pete. And then my brother sent me a note. This is how Bob operates kind of it says here for your scrapbook. That was the note inside the note. And it was a, a little note from, um, Charlie Wessler, who is the Fairley brothers, dearest friend and a great producer. And he produced all their films. He was one of their producers still he's on there. I think he worked on, I'm sure he worked on green book with Pete. Hmm. Um, they're, they are very loyal to their family and friends. That's one th- great thing about them. I mean, like nobody you ever saw before right. that's their allegiance. Right. and. Um, So it was a note that Charlie sent to my brother saying, dear Bob, thank you. Uh, He said, usually when a head of a studio sends us a family member, this is the first I heard. Because when I called Bob to thank him, he said, get your own job. I didn't do anything. So he said, usually when the head of a studio recommends a family member, we all run the other way. He said, but in your case, thank you for sending us, Lynn. She did such a great job in the movie and blah, blah, blah. So that was Bob's way. We never really discussed it ever again. I mean, he never, that was Bob's way of communicating with me. And and that was the beginning of my relationship with them. And then Kingpin has a whole nother story, long story, which I'll make a little bit short, but uh, I saw they were doing this film. I tried to get an audition. Nobody would, they, they just wouldn't respond. I mean, everybody, Rick Montgomery, even Pete, he said, we love your work, but you're just not right for this role. The character was described as the angriest, ugliest woman God ever let loose on the planet. That was the character's description of Mrs. Dumars in Kingpin. And they said, we, you know, we just don't think you're right for that. And I was like being an Uta Hagen, Stella Adler, <laughs> Lee Strasberg. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's uh, that's meat and potatoes for for years to play that role. So um, I just I I was really depressed and my agent had just died and I was crying. I was going to have a meeting with another agent and they canceled. And I remember sitting at our dining room table um, and my ex-husband at the time, I have him to thank for many, many things. And this was one of them. And he said, what's the matter with you? And I said, everybody's dead. And (laughs) he said, they're all dead, everybody. And I can't get an audition. And they're starting the movie. And I had worked out that character on the floor of my bedroom over six weeks, complete with wardrobe. I bought that little... Pete called it my clown suit. I bought the clown suit at a thrift store on Melrose, and I did the thing with the horrible hair and the mm-hmm. t- terrible teeth and the fingernails, and I had eyelashes coming out of my nose like nose hairs, and I had really built this whole image of the angriest, ugliest woman I could think of. And I said nobody cares because they don't want to see it. And and Clayton said, um, he said Clayton is my was my husband at the time. He said. Um, why don't you just call, call, call up one of the producers you met on Dumb Dumb and Dumber, you know, they, they'll remember you. And so there was one, uh, Steve Stabler, who to this day, I got to try to find him during this stupid pandemic. But he was, I I called him up, he answered his phone, you know, because Clayton says after lunch, they'll all be in their office. You know, so, uh, And I said, he said, oh, I know, Lynn, we got your messages and, you know, we love your work, but we just don't think you're right for this. And I said, I said, Steve, I worked out this whole character. And, you know, and he said, oh, he said, well, okay, well, I'll bring you in. So two days later, I dress up 100 percent here. I want to see her. She she remains (laughs) on my desk. (laughs) There she is. I still love her. I really do. I love her. She will always be in my heart. So there she was in the little clown suit, with the cigarette hanging out of my mouth and the filthy face and hair. And uh, I drove to Santa Monica to the office where the audition was. And I remember I walked in the room and they Oh, oh first I I was sitting and, and I could I was at my time. I got there right on time. And Rick Montgomery kept walking by me. And I finally said, Rick, I said, it's, I was supposed to, you know, I had like a 1030 appointment and he looked, he said, Lynn. I said, yeah. He said, oh my God, I thought you were a homeless woman off of the street. We were going to call the cops. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so he brought me in and they fell on the floor. I mean, Pete and I mean, there were, they were all in there, um, you know, all the, all the honchos, the, the Fairly brother honchos. And um, I got the job. <laughs> so that's how I, and, and they made me audition for something about Mary. I remember I had a whole nother idea. They were, they're rough. I mean, he doesn't, he's, he's a real, he's tough as a director. And he knows exactly what he wants. And he's extremely talented. And that sweetness seeps through. But sometimes he's really like, this is how I want it, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, you know, there's no improvisation. All those lines in Kingpin were written by Pete Farrelly, <laughs> including Pump and Dump. So <laughs> so because people ask me that. No, you, I, I mean, those, that's to the letter. And um, same thing with Mary. I mean, I we finally figured out Magda. We kind of worked her out together a little bit. And, uh, and then, you know, I had smaller roles as time went by. But. I guess I sort of answered your question, but the bottom line is they are extraordinary talents. Bobby, too, the two of them, and they come from a family that's like a clan. I mean, I became friends with his mom and dad and um, his sister. You know, he—they've got it's a big family. I think there's five in the family, and um, they're great people. Right. Great people, talented, right. kind, smart, loyal. Everything you want to say good about a human being they are right
0: right 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 well wow, that's that's always good to hear and it's always lovely to hear somebody a guest talking so enthusiastically about people you've worked with now I wonder and this is obviously a comedy um and I feel that we really should move on to some of your more horrific
1: parts <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened either don't ask me. <laughs> The answer is, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, as is often the way. I mean, I think, it, obviously, you've done Nightmare on Elm Street, um, which you mentioned, that was through your book, that lovely. My brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about 2001 uh, Maniacs? Um oh.
1: Um, Tim Sullivan, who is still one of my favorite people, I, I haven't talk, spoken to him lately. Um, I don't remember how I met Tim, but he told me he was doing, he, he, you know, he told me that they were doing this movie and he had done a whole series of, um, cartoon drawings, like sort of a storyboard and Granny Smith, uh, Granny Smith, Granny Boone, um, he had her with a coonskin cap and sort of a kind of real hillbilly. And I thought uh, and I said, I think there's a more interesting way to do that. I think, she, you know, because she lives in this view. Beaut- oh, because also when I saw the, the set pieces where we were going to be, they were shooting at this historical village, basically, I guess, in South Carolina, I think. Um, which was, you know, they moved all these old civil war and um, buildings and they created sort of a park. So people mm-hmm. pay money and you go through these old homes and stuff. So the mansion was one of those places. I'm surprised they let us do it, but they did. And, um, and I said, she, it looks like sort of a Scarlett O'Hara, you know, it, it's like a mansion. So I said, what about this idea for being this sort of Southern Belle, who's half, 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 um, Half Scarlet O'Hara and half Black Widow Spider. You know, she's really also this very high, you know, very sweet with lemonade, anybody with a real Southern accent, not hillbilly, but real lady, a real lady. And so that's how, uh, that was how we built the character. And of course, Robert England, who I knew through Bob, and I knew, you know, I, I didn't meet him on Nightmare on Elm Street because yeah. we didn't have any scenes together, but. Um, we had sort of become friends over the years and, um, it was, it was really fun. I mean, we just, it was, it's a really, bl- it's a really gory film. I, I started watching it the other, not too long ago and I was shocked at how I forgot how much about the dismembering. And I mean, there's really some gruesome stuff in that movie and, um, yeah. it, but it did very, very well. And then, you know, then of course we went on to the second one. And Tim uh, has, you know, remained, I've been in several movies he did. I also was in another movie called Driftwood he made. And um, we, we, he, he's a very private guy. He kind of goes off and does his own, he's in his own world and does his own thing. So I haven't seen him for a while. Of course I adore him and wish him well. And, and those movies have still garner, you know, uh, all kinds of fans and, uh, people love them so right. I'm glad I love Granny Boone she's a great character <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah and terrifying completely
1: she is terror. there is I, the, oh Ricky on a stick that was my idea <laughs> I mean <laughs> I'm licking the, the I don't I, I don't know where I get some of that but whatever <laughs>
0: You say it's telling the truth. Um, <laughs> what? And, and I think the other thing, of course, the other series of films that you are known for is Insidious. No. Now, how did, did that kind of come out of 2001 Maniacs? No, now?
1: no, nothing. Oh, well, well in, a, in a weird way, Tim Sullivan in, in, introduced me to James Wan, oh. um, which I, to this day, I don't even know. I mean, they're not close friends, so I don't really know, but I know Tim was invited. I was having a little gathering at my house and he brought James and James was a fan of a little film I did called dead end. That was, I think from 2003 with me, Ray wise, um, a wonderful kind of Christmas movie. It's, it's still one of my favorite movies ever.
0: Oh, right. Yes. Yes.
1: And uh, so I did meet James through Tim and, and James, so James was a fan of that film. And I remember I had a copy of it and I gave him one and um, that was it. They stayed about 20 minutes or whatever and left. And a few weeks later, James called me to ask if I wanted to do a little video called doggy heaven that he was doing with his partner, Lee Winnell. I had never met Lee. It's, it's also still on YouTube. It's really funny. It's just great. And Lee, Lee Winnell is a treasure. I mean, he can do anything. Lee, wherever you are, I know you're going to go, no, no, yes, you can. He's a fantastic actor, a spectacular writer, a fantastic director, and uh, just one of my favorite people ever, ever. And Lee was um, going to act in this one. He was playing this, it's kind of hard to describe it. It's nine minutes long, I think. Doggy Heaven. Check it out. It's really funny. That and I'm this great. character with big boobs and a big butt and a big hat and big glasses and a little dog and and a gun in my purse. <laughs> so that's pretty much who, who she is. The dog's name is Miss Marple. I don't even remember my name. But, um Uh, And so we shot it, I think it was either a day or two, it was maybe, that's also where I met Mike Mendez, who's become a very close friend of mine, and who produced this for James, he and James have been friends for a while. So everything sort of builds on itself, you know, there's sort of this um, layer effect, like a muffin, (laughs) it keeps getting kind of bigger and bigger, flaky muffin. (laughs) But um, and so and then not long after that, um, James called me up again, and he said, my partner Lee and I have this script. We're not sure the name yet. It might be called the further. It might, we don't know what it's called. Um, and there's a role of a psychic. Would you be interested in reading it? So he said, I have um, offers out to Pat Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne. I don't know, you know what they're going to be doing, but I just let you know that we just put offers out to them. So I said, sure, I would love to read it. So I read it and I read it in bed. I remember it was late and it was, it freaked me out for some, and it wasn't like written scary, but there was something about it that was really scary. And I remember I took it downstairs and put it in the closet downstairs. I didn't want to sleep with it by my bed. And, um, I called James the next day and I said, I would love to be, and I just remember Elise talked a lot. That was the other thing. I wasn't really sure what she was talking about, to be honest, because it was all about the further. What? I don't know. There's things and there's demons and entities and there's all this, di- all this, these characters that I, I, I hadn't really wrapped my head around. And, um, and then he said, and guess what? He said, Patrick and Rose have both accepted the right away. They accepted the roles and he said so we're going to we're going to shoot and he said we'll probably you know start in a few weeks so that was that was the beginning of insidious and i remember james saying to me gee he said i wonder i wonder if there'll be another one ever and he said because maybe we shouldn't kill you at the end <laughs> i said no nah, whatever don't, don't worry about it <laughs> just just tell your story whatever and um Meanwhile, that choking scene is one of the scariest I've watched it and it scares me to watch it. I, and I remember I had, cause Patrick is a skilled fabulous director and actor and person and all those things and very controlled. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's not one of these hysterical people, but I had like a necklace of bruise marks <laughs> where he was, cause you know, they don't really go here because then he would oh, really kill but, me yeah, but, yeah, because, like here, but, but there yeah. was like, literally I I look like I had pearls of bruises all around my neck after we shot that scene and stuff. And, um, and it looks like there's going to be a fifth insidious.
0: Oh, wow.
1: I can, I can say it. I don't know anything really about it. I don't know. I know Elise is, is now true, truly in the further, you know, we've finished my story. Um, They became more and the character. Gratefully became very, very popular. Um, which I still don't quite understand why people ask me that question. Why do you think, because, you know, she's sort of a middle-aged, not particularly attractive woman who, you know, what is it about her that people like? And the closest thing I could come up with is that she's a giver and not a taker and that we live in that, that inadvertently we were such a selfish animal right now in particular. It's all about me, 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 me. And there's something sort of um, there's an innuendo that Elise is totally not that person. You know, it's it's not iPhone. It's about you. It's about, she's Mm. all about you, not Mm. about herself. Mm. And there's something very penetrating about that in a character, I think. And um, I'm wondering if that has something to do with her appeal. Well, I also think,
0: I think you're absolutely right, but also I think, it's also her relationship with the boys.
1: With the boys, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the that was skillfully. I mean, Lee, Lee and Angus are. I mean, they really are. We really. People said, you know, we could do a spinoff of the the three of us. I don't think that'll ever happen. They've moved. Everybody's moved on. But I agree with you. I think that this the comic relief that they and the the son, the sort of innuendo, the the humor that's couched in this in this company of people who help other people, you know, it's really, it it was, it was brilliantly conceived, I think really, really. Yeah. I was
0: going to say, well, I'm really glad to hear there was a film because I've been watching them, over this last week, and just thought, oh wow, this is absolutely fascinating. As I love the they're a
1: wonderful movie. series. Yeah, yeah. and you have, I have you know James and Lee to thank for that. I don't think Lee's going to be a part. I don't. It's going to be a whole different storyline. Right. I mean, it's going to be very different than people are expecting. I think, um, and I don't know very. As I said, I'm in the dark. I haven't seen a script or anything, and I'm assuming it's not this one. Is Elise has? It's been about Elise. We're done with Elise. Elise is now you know, uh, somewhere commenting on, on the world. I mean, that's what I feel about her character will probably participate in some way in that way, maybe, and maybe not, you know, maybe who knows. knows? So, um, but I do know people it's uh, I I don't know when it's going to happen or um, anything about Uh, it really, but um, Patrick Wilson is going to direct it though. So that's going to be great.
0: Oh, wow. Wow, I'm I'm, pretty sure. be... I hope
1: I'm not speaking, but it's been, it was in the trades. So oh,
0: right. But, if it's in the uh, trades, I think we're okay. I, I think yeah. we're good. Yeah,
1: uh-huh.
0: yeah. Well, if that changes, if you, if you happen to know, let me know before we broadcast and I'll <laughs> edit out. <laughs> right. I've had to do that already with one of the episodes. Somebody's like, Something's really changed about something that happened. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you how, before we move on to the luggage, if it, well, actually, no, there are two things I want to talk about before we move on because we're running out of time <laughs> it's been so much fun room for rent now this was what you filmed a couple of years ago now but
1: we yes it was a couple years. yes yeah, 2018 yeah yeah two or three it's two years two and a half years three years maybe um that's one of my favorite films i've ever done i love this character i do uh, Tommy Stovall and I had done a couple other films together. He's a very interesting guy. They lived in Sedona, Arizona. I think they just moved to Phoenix, but um, he's not on anybody's radar. You know, he didn't, he does not play, he's just, he every once in a while will come up with a story. And there were two other films I did. One was called Sedona that Francis Fisher uh, stars in. That was actually a wonderful little movie. And we we've stayed in touch. And mm. he sent me this script some years ago. It was probably about five years ago. And I didn't like it. I was in the middle of doing something else, and uh, and it just didn't strike me in any way. And then he sent it again. He said, "Remember that script? I, I this, I've cha- We've changed it a little." And I reread it, and I thought, "There's something here." But it was it's supposed to be about a psycho. You know, it starts out, and I said, "They've already we've made they've made that movie." I said, "What about changing the the ice uh, core of it?" that maybe this is just a woman who's been sort of kept disenfranchised by her husband, who you never meet, but you just hear about over the years and that suddenly he's dead and she's left with no life. She doesn't know how to, she doesn't know how to navigate life. She's never had to do it. He's kept her pretty much in the kitchen, you know, and there's that one little passage I I added, we added in, about, you know, doing his laundry and doing his thing while he's out screwing other women, you know, where you, that she, and she learns, she has to learn how to enter society. And so she's this, and I thought it was just a great idea. And Tommy really, and so the two of us really filled out the script. I mean, I had quite a bit to do with, with this, a lot with the character, with shaping the character. Mm. And, um, and with dialogue as well. I mean, there there is a writer to the script um, who g- gave us a wonderful framework, but it's not the script. It's a different story than basically what was there, right. and and I love it. It's still on Amazon Prime. It's it's and I I love this character, and I think anybody that's watching, if you do, especially if you want have have watched everything else that's been <laughs> out already.
0: Check it out. <laughs> Seriously, check it out. I mean, there are moments in it. I think it's the, this is, there's no spoilers whatsoever in this. It's where she takes his, the ex husband's Fred, takes right. his porn stash from the bottom of the bureau drawer and puts his ashes in it. And it's just like, I remember watching that and thinking, oh, Oh my god! She just and then,
1: slams the drawer. Yeah, and it's, so yeah. And it's like
0: it's that, and it's like, and then you slowly begin to understand exactly what's going on, and so on, and but there are just actually, I have to say, there are some very disturbing parts to the film. <laughs> the, early on, in the you know, the bits in the in the skate park, and after and that whole sequence is, it really goes there. And it's, I'm not talking gore. No, I'm talking about just the way people treat other people. Yeah,
1: um, I'm very proud of. I really am. I'm proud of my work in it. I love the section where I go through his things in the in the bedroom. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. I, <laughs> yeah. I was. I have to admit, there was one moment. Just like I can't believe she's going really <laughs> <laughs> over. So I'm like, very proud oh, of that I can't moment. Really, she's I do really. <laughs> So
0: watch it. <laughs> yeah, Re- seriously, folks. If you've not seen it, it's called Room for Rent, and it's 2019 on IMDb. It is still out on Amazon Prime, both in the US and in the UK. Trust me, it's it's a really good way of spending 82 minutes. Um, okay, this has been so much fun. We still got more to do. Firstly daytime emmy award for your work on east siders
1: i know it's right over she's right over there <laughs> let's see if we can see her, can you see her?
0: oh wow right over
1: there <laughs> i kept saying what are they are going to send me a certificate and they said no you're going to get an emmy i said come on <laughs> but there she is yep and it's a wonderful series that was picked up um Oh gosh, Kit Williamson is the, it, it was his, his deal. I mean, he was the producer and stars in it. And it's a series that's, um, it's about a gay couple. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful set of, it's a wonderful story. And it, it started out, I think just as a YouTube thing. And then mm. eventually it got bought by Netflix and there basically were four seasons of this, of the Eastsiders and this was the last season the final season and i play um, the mom of a of a young guy who's going to marry a, a drag queen and he doesn't think i know she's a, he she's a drag queen and it was just a very it was very low key and i was really flattered and very surprised i mean i that people acknowledged it and um uh And I'm very proud of it. I mean, it's a really, it's a really wonderful series also. It's another thing to check out. um, If you, if you are so inclined, you know, you have nothing else to watch for a while. Um, But um, yeah, so there it is. I mean, it's a little bit, I don't know. (laughs) I get a little bit kind of, I get, I feel, I mean, do I feel like I deserve it? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I deserve, I don't like to think like that. I don't think, I don't think I deserve anything. I think we all work hard. And again, if we if our impulses are to express the truth and to try and educate people about something that maybe you feel you know something about that maybe they could use a little a little uh, coaching on or whatever it is that makes people communicate through art. I mean, that's um that's what all artists do. Yeah. And we are of that, we are all artists. So yeah. Yeah. I feel very flattered, I guess is the right word to say, that I was uh, acknowledged. And, and
0: yeah, so just it's very hard to, you know, when you, I, I, I've never got an Emmy or anything major like that, but even the, the awards that I've received, I, it's, I remember the, the feeling is just like, oh,
1: wow. Thank you wow, so exactly. much. Exactly. I know. And yeah. it's, very, it's a little bit embarrassing. Almost, it is. Yeah, it's deeply embarrassing. I don't quite embarrassing. know how to say thank yeah, what you. What do you mean me? you, Yeah, right. Really? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Are you sure? Really. Actually,
0: which takes me right back to when I was like 18 and leaving school. I remember one of the final um, assemblies that were given by our house mistress, and she said, You have to learn to take a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought, yeah, it's actually really important skill to have, because if you don't learn to take a compliment, you're actually saying to the person who's trying to compliment me, you're an idiot because yeah. you think I'm good. And that's not healthy. That's not. It is hard. It is embarrassing. But I think sometimes, whoops, he says knocking his microphone. Um you just have to learn to enjoy you know we will just have to enjoy these things when they come don't
1: we? oh totally and i mean mm. again just to say thank you you know it's mm. really um i'm always afraid i have a lot of fear i'm always truly i mean i'm always scared when i start a project and um it's it quite a process i mean there's yeah bolding
0: yeah, no, I, I understand that. I, I, sorry, I wasn't doubting the fact that you feel f- f- no, fear because no. I think we all do. And I think actors particularly, every single time you feel, okay, well, this is the one where I fail. This is, yeah, it looks, you know, we all have those that little voice at the back of my mouth. But yeah, well, again, congratulations on that. And I'd just like to finish, if I may, with um, this little segment, which I refer to as the luggage in the crypt. Uh, this idea what you know the whole idea i love the egyptian idea that you take stuff for your next you know the crypt is just the stepping stone to wherever we're going to end up what would you take so if i asked you what what film might you take
1: what thing would i take
0: film oh film which film film, sorry
1: kingpin cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's one of the funniest films ever made. I just, I mean, in every way, I just think it's, it's so off, off. It's so to the, it's so offbeat, And really it's like, so off center is better, a better word. And so, and I think Woody Harrelson and Bill Murray, it's two of the funniest things they've ever done. And people don't really, igno- you know, a lot of people have never seen Kingpin because it was mm. very under the radar. I mean, it didn't even, that, that, It it did terrible when it first opened. It did make a a penny. I just think it's one of my favorite. It's certainly the story for me of my success with that. Right. Is seminal too. It's a real high point in terms of my creativity.
0: Right. Right. In terms of
1: my endurance and in terms of my uh, love for what I do for for the um, dismiss dismissive element of looking how I'm supposed to look or be that I really dove into the center of who I thought this woman could be. And she's, people love her and, and are terrified by her. And I love that. So I think I would take her.
0: Right. Okay. That makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. What about a book?
1: Oh, I'm such a terrible reader. I don't read, this is, I'm so sad to even admit this, but I don't read well. I'm not a, I'm not a pleasure reader because it's hard. I think I, I don't know if I'm a little dyslexic or, right. um, there's some, there's some element that never allowed me to really enjoy reading because I have to go back over what I read to make sure I remember what I, 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 my, it's easier for me to read scripts even cause I can make notes and margins and it's 90 pages or whatever. But, um, so I've never been a great reader. Um, I would probably be like a child's book I would take with me. Um, the runaway rabbit, <laughs> which is what I used to read to my son about, you know, if you go in a boat, I'm going to come and find you in a boat. If you go on the thing, I'm going to come and be there with you. And there's something about mother's love and the, the drive to, to envelop yourself in your family and to not let them go, you know, to, to, until, until they're really ready. Right. There's something, there's a wonderful little message in there. And I'm, you know, I really am. I have a son who's, um, who's um, an incredible reader, incredible, who read us Jurassic Park out loud when he was in second grade. And I'm not joking. I mean, <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed to be his mother <laughs> because I'm so illiterate. I, I mean, I, and I'm, I really have chagrin about that. I mean, I'm, I, I, and there's something about uh, hopefully the way children are taught to read today. It's a whole different story because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember this little girl up the street who was maybe four and literally sat down and read an entire book to me. And I thought when I was four, I knew go Jane, go puff, puff, bow. Wow. That was how I, I learned. That was what I learned. I remember in those sixth, books. Second grade. <laughs> you know, how disgusting is that? And because, <laughs> We just weren't given any credit for being having brains as 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 little kids, and you know we now know that's the most fertile part of, you know that's probably yeah. when you learn the easiest and the most. So right, right. But I'll take the Runaway Bunny.
0: The Runaway Bunny. <laughs> I, I it's not a book I'm familiar with. I want to go and check that out. Okay, it's probably <laughs> a U.S. thing. What about an album?
1: Oh boy! Oh, it'd have to be. <sighs> I would have to be a Beatles album. Um, cause they were so important in my life. You know, I mean, they really, uh, I have one image I'll never forget on the Ed Sullivan show. This is when I was at university of Michigan and I remember they were going to be on the Ed Sullivan show and walking back from the library. Cause I was late to get to the television and all the dorm windows were open all over the, the quad and you could hear like stereo, the Beatles playing It was, it was, and, um, that that whole their whole story is so spectacular, so I'd probably take the White Album.
0: <laughs> right.
1: right, how I know that's a boring answer, but that's no, what I. Would
0: that's do. not no no. This is the truth. That's that's a great answer. We've not <sighs> had. I don't think anyone's chosen any Beatles so far on that. Because oh, no one's oh.
1: as old as me. <laughs> <laughs> Few of them well, that's the other truth. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: oh, God. Anyway, I grew up with the Beatles. I remember watching the Beatles films and, uh, and, <sighs> and so on. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, what about a favorite food or drink?
1: Oh boy. Favorite food. I love, I mean, I love food. I mean, I love eating, but I love fresh things. I like, I'm a big fruit and vegetable person. I like seafood. My favorite, if I could and you know I've gotten more socially aware like I I lobster's always been one of my favorite until one time we tried to we got live lobsters to cook when I was when I was married and I remember one climbed out of the pot that was the end of my <laughs> I yeah, I've never been able to know them, so them I I must say I've become much more I don't eat meat hardly ever and yet I really I grew up eating beef I was you know and um and uh chicken and you know i mean i i was not a i didn't grow up with any political bend toward uh toward animals at that point i feel it more now and i think also because we know farming is so awful i mean Mm -hmm. it's not done like it, it isn't like in michigan where you'd see the the cows four cows in the grass eating their thing and you know whatever so i guess what's my very favorite food Geez, i if it's really good believe it or not i love romaine lettuce but like baby romaine cuz it's got real flavor and there's something about the ground i i i feel like i i like feeling connected i like feeling connected to the earth right. so i love i love fresh like fresh vegetables right. really fresh vegetables right much more than beef or chicken or seafood even or um and I like I like spaghetti, not pasta. I like spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> a big ball of spaghetti is good with, with a little bit of lemon, garlic, and olive oil, and I'm right, good. Right, right. That and fresh, fresh vegetables, and that's my dinner. <laughs>
0: yeah, I could, I could, <laughs> and a yes, glass I,
1: of, and a glass of Cabernet. <laughs> oh,
0: of course, of course. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, what about a piece
1: of visual art? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, I, oh, there's so, there's, I mean, there's so many different roads on that. I, I don't mm. think I can answer that question. That um, fair enough. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, there's so many, you know, I mean, visually, there's so many things, story wise, there's so many beautiful things. So, and you're you're speaking of film, like a a, well,
0: a piece of visual. I mean, it could be a it could be a a painting. Painting. It could be a sculpture. It, Modigliani
1: just, is my one of my favorite. Modigliani. First. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's because my dad told me I used to look like his his drawings. That I had a long sort of face, and I have actually um, a print in my in my house of uh, a Modigliani that I that I really love. So yeah, that would be. And I love all the impressionists. I was an art right. history major, so I, I really love. Ah. I love, loved art. Ah. But that and was also. Say, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say I can see the Magliani thing. I can I'm see now. Yeah, that you have that beautiful. <laughs> yes, you have that beautiful face. And what? And lastly, what about a luxury?
1: Oh gosh. <sighs> Peace, just real peace content with myself health good health is truly all that is important i honestly feel that way Mm. and uh, anything that goes little thing like i've had this little thing going on with my behind my knee i don't know it just hurts and you go that sucks (laughs) <laughs> I mean I I like it when everything works when my whole I love my body I'm I'm a very much feel very um grateful for everything that I have and that works and I'm I I take very good care of myself um I've always done exercise and yoga and I eat very very well and um and I want to be well till the day I die that is really my my greatest wish is to be healthy and well and mobile till the day i'm done right and then (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye let's hope for the best let's hope all those all those angels are really up there
0: (laughs) yeah 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 i can i can i think that's a perfect answer that's a great answer lynn this has been extraordinary thank you so much Thank you again to Lynn Shea. What a lovely, lovely lady. And gosh, what a career. Next week, we are joined by the writer and director of Child's Play and Fright Night, Mr. Tom Holland. Join me then, and in the meantime, stay safe and (music) well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe with production support from Jared Friedrich and Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Teatime Productions.